How do we define beauty? Like I think at, at times like this, you sing a song like Silent Night and you sing a beautiful carol and, and this idea of how we reach out and engage with something that's bigger than ourselves, something divine, something almost tangibly beautiful, is it's hard to put our head around. Neil Armstrong on the Apollo 11 mission that took him to the moon, he had this, he had this quote where he was on his way to the moon and he looked back throughout space, back at Earth, off in the distance. And he said, he said this, he saw it like this tiny ball in the distance. He said, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the Earth. I put up my thumb and shut one eye and my thumb blotted out planet Earth. But I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. Can sometimes feel that way, trying to wrap our heads around God. I'm just going to pray and then we'll get into it tonight. God, I just thank you for who you are. And I pray that tonight you would speak to us clearly. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you take a seat? I think... I think Christmas is awesome. Like, I'm, I'm just a big Christmas fan. I'm not, I'm not quite, you know, wearing Christmas shirts every day of the year Christmas fan, but I am a put Mariah Carey on at, like, November 15th Christmas fan, right? So there's different levels of it. And I think it's really interesting how we try and beautify Christmas. It's this time of the year where we try and make things beautiful in a way that we actually don't do for every other time of the year. There's no other time of year where we try and make entire neighbourhoods beautiful and then make them so beautiful that we get in cars and drive around just to look at people's houses. On any other day of the year, on any other night of the year, those people were calling the cops. But at Christmas, it's like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, please, come and look at my house. We beautify our houses. And we do it in every sense too. It's not just visual. It's in the, the smell of gingerbread. It's in the taste of eggnog. I love eggnog. The feel of pine needles and that sound of Mariah hitting the high note at the end of All I Want for Christmas is you. It's so good. All the feels, all the emotions, all the expressions at Christmas. But it's not just that kind of beauty. There's this kind of behavioural beauty we demand at Christmas as well. It's the only time of the year you can use a time of year as justification for behaviour where somebody will say, oh, I can't make this, and you'll say, it's Christmas, though. As if just the time of year changes everyone's mood. It changes everyone's ability to do something. You're holding them up to some kind of festive standard that we're just expecting. People go, oh, but it's Christmas. You know, oh, okay. And then if they don't do it, we call them names. Grinch. <laughs> Scrooge. Like, we've got Christmas insults for people. If they're not reaching our behavioural Christmas standard, it's crazy. But this is our expectation of beauty at Christmas. We put lights on our homes, ribbons on our presents, smiles on our faces, and God help you if you put one kid's craft on mum's carefully curated Christmas tree. (laughs) They have their own Christmas tree for that, apparently. And tinsel's even worse. So I'm told. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most beautiful time of the year as well. I just want to talk about my most beautiful Christmas ever. The year was 2005. I won't tell you how old I was. It doesn't matter. 
The year was 2005, and I was living in Japan that year. Now, a little bit of background, I'd been living there all year teaching English. I went over in about April. I was dating Jenny at the time, and Jen had gone over to do a mission trip. She was in Perth and then Central Australia and then in Bali. And so we almost hadn't seen each other for an entire year. Jen came over and visited us in Japan for a couple of weeks, and that was it. So we were doing the whole long-distance relationship thing. And if you've ever done that before, you know it's kind of a make-or-break thing. Like, you work out fairly quickly, okay, this is going to work and we're in it for the long term, or it's done. It worked, by the way, just in case. Spoilers. Yep, yep. Great. (laughs) Now, I was planning to be in Japan through February, because ski season is important. And um, what I decided in the end is that I would trick Jen, and I would come home and surprise her Christmas morning. Because romantic, right? And I sent a present ahead of time, but a present was no substitute for my presence. See what I did there? Play on words. It's clever. I'll keep moving. Um, And so then I was walking towards her house where she was living with her mum and dad, and I called her, but I called her parents' phone, they were in on it, and I made it seem like I was calling long distance to Japan, so Jenny thinks I'm on the phone from Japan, and I sounded all forlorn, like, honey, I just miss you, you know, it's lonely over here, it's cold, it's just so foreign right now. Of course, I'm like 200 metres away from her front door, but she doesn't know that. And so I get to her front door and knock on her, and she's there, and her parents are going, oh, yeah, yeah, open the door, and suddenly I'm there. And as happy as she was to hear from me on the phone, she was much happier to see me in person. Now, you all think, okay, yeah, obviously, but you've got to remember, I'm much better looking from a distance than I am in person. Like, you guys in the back row, you've got the best view in the house tonight. No, 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 it's true. We're all better looking from a distance than we are in person. That's why nostalgia works so well, because we just erase the bits of that person we don't want to remember as well. And we're like, you know what? That was the greatest time of my life. We went on this holiday. It was amazing. You forget that you're fighting with your siblings in the back of the car every single day. You know, This is how nostalgia works. We erase it. But it doesn't matter because the intimacy, being present with somebody, is always more valuable than being beautiful at a distance. That's just how it works. And if you've ever been in love, you know that. It's a whole nother thing. But Jen, when I turn up, has to deal with the same problem that everyone does in relationships. Do I want to admire somebody from a distance as flawless, or do I want to deal with the reality of their problems in person? That's how we all do it in a relationship. Sometimes when we get close to somebody, it can actually be harder to see the beauty. That's why we hear phrases and ideas like familiarity breeds contempt, because the closer we get to somebody, the harder it can be to remain thinking about how beautiful this person is. And we still live in a culture in the Western world that's kind of more interested in the lives of people off in the distance than we are with the lives of those around us. We're more likely to be attracted to these beautiful, mysterious people who appear on the TV, who are on our our, our movie screens, who are in our our earphones, we're more interested in what's happening to them often than we are in what's happening in the lives of our family and our neighbours. And and this is kind of the appeal of celebrity gossip, right? It's like hearing the dirt on our more beautiful, more successful friends, but without the awkwardness of potentially running into them at the shops later. Like, that's kind of how celebrity gossip makes its money. And so there's a sense of admiration of beauty from a distance. And I think it's linked with the idea of awe, right? Awe. A sense of being overwhelmed by who we think someone is. But awe is not something we keep when we know somebody. 
For example, if you've ever been friends with anybody who's vaguely famous in any way, the more you become close to them, the less impressed you are with their celebrity because you're like, yeah, well, you're just a person. You know, you're, I, I see your faults. I see who you are. I don't see who you are on like new idea or whatever. I see who you are in reality. So we move then to what I talked about earlier, which is intimacy or intimacy. And when we move to intimacy, that's great. We get to see a real person and that's ideal. But then we have to deal with the reality. We have to deal with the warts and all aspect of dealing with a real human being. This gives a more accurate person a picture of who the people are, but it brings out their flaws because you can't airbrush someone's Instagram when they're in front of you. That doesn't work. You just have to deal with the reality. So awe is beauty and affection without flaws, but with distance. Intimacy is beauty and affection up close. A more real picture, but with flaws. And so in relationships, we choose every time. Do we have intimacy, a flawed closeness, or awe, a distant perfection? Well, in the passage that was read by the girls earlier, we hear a famous story out of the Gospel of Luke. Now, the Gospel of Luke is one of the four biographies we read about Jesus in the Bible. And in this part of Luke, the shepherds are our main characters, and that's not really normal. Shepherds don't really get the prime time very often. like They're not exactly reality stars or Instagram models. But here they are, tired, dirty, stinking like sheep, not exactly my perception of beautiful. God bless the shepherds in the audience if you're here. I feel like shepherd isn't really a culturally current employment. But, you know, if you have a wool farm or lamb, actually, if you make lamb for a living... God bless you. You're my favorite kind of person. I don't care what you smell like. The shepherds have an experience unlike anything in recorded human history. They don't just have an angelic visitation. They have a multitude of angels, angels from horizon to horizon, filling the sky, and the sense of awe and sheer power drives them to their knees in admiration. This is something nobody has had before. It's a divine encounter. They encounter the presence of God in an overwhelming way through the coming of the angels. And this word that is used is the word glory, the glory of God, which is like this splendor, this brightness or sheer majesty of God. Now, that's all nice, but probably a better way to describe it is, have you seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? You know, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the Nazis open up the Ark of the Covenant, everyone dies. Spoilers if you haven't seen it. You should have seen it by now. It's 35 years old. You know, the spoilers don't apply. But that's what it's like, the immense light and power. Now, this experience is the closest we see in the Bible of people having a face-to-face encounter with God. This is about approximately as close as anybody else gets. The person of God is basically depicted as too beautiful to see. And I want you to think about it like the sun. I love the sun. Gives us heat, gives us light. We need these things. But I don't want to be any closer to the sun than I am right now because I would be destroyed. This is a bit what it's like with God. And so the shepherds have this moment of awe. The distant perfection of God is brought near to them, slightly closer to them. And it's so they are driven to their knees in fear and terror. They encounter the beauty of God in a supernatural way. And you kind of think that might be the end of the story. Because usually that's what happens in the Bible. There's, there's a moment where they encounter God in some way, and then it sort of moves on to whatever's happening next. But not the shepherds, because the shepherds hear a message. 
And the message inspires them to go and have a different kind of divine encounter. You see, they meet the angels and then they leave their flocks behind and travel to visit the child in the manger, becoming the first in a long line of people to drop everything to meet Jesus. And they encounter the beauty of God in a natural way. Supernatural with the angels, natural with the child. And they had a heightened experience of what we all feel when we hold a baby. Affection and warmth and love and emotion. Holding a baby is a reminder of vulnerability, our vulnerability and the child's vulnerability. And you all know if you've felt it, if you've held a child before, you feel that sense. And, and some of you might get clucky and think, I, I, I can't wait to have a child. Others of you might look at it and go, I'm so glad I've had children or this is not for me. Thank you. Here's the child back. But for all of us, there's a sense of vulnerability. There's this tiny creature in front of us. And everyone does that thing where they look at the size of the kid's hands or fingers and go, oh, like it fits in my palm. There's something about the intimacy of a child, and the reliance that they have on us. The shepherds become the first outside Jesus' own family to have these two different kinds of divine encounters, the awe, the power of God, and the intimacy and the presence of God. Sometimes I think we treat God as distant, this awesome God, because it's, it's so immense. Like, how do you get your head around this idea of divinity? You can't. And maybe that's simply because of our own experiences with awe, that all we know is to deal with it from a distance. But sometimes I think we take God for granted because of his extraordinary intimacy in coming to be with us. Maybe that's because we don't realize how unusual that is, or maybe it's just this idea that familiarity breeds contempt. But when Jesus entered the world, something new happened that had never happened before. The God who created the universe entered his own creation. That power and majesty of God was contained within the vulnerability and gentleness of a child. The intimacy and the awe brought together. In fact, in another part of the Bible, Paul puts it this way, that Jesus, even though he was in the form of God, didn't count that as something that he should grasp, like this power to hold on to. But he actually gave up all that power. He said, no, 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 I, I give that up to take the form of a servant, to serve you and me. This is not something that God does, but he did. Somehow, the power of God becomes flesh, and it's a reminder to us that God is closer than we think. God is near to us right now. The incredible beauty of God is in both the intimacy and the awe, but the true beauty of God at Christmas is not that the shepherds felt awe at the divine angel at seeing them and their power. That's great, but that's not the true beauty of Christmas. And it's not even that they went to visit the baby in the manger, seeing God contained so vulnerably, so humbly. That's not the beauty of Christmas at all. Because see, when we deal with God, there's always an element of mystery and an element of faith. There's an element where we walk up to a point and say, I can't go any further because the concept of somebody that's too big to see is hard to fit in our heads. The concept of somebody that's beyond our understanding is by definition too hard to fit in our heads. Well, there must be an element of mystery. There must be an element of faith. But when you flip it around, you get a God that drew near to us. That's when you get the true beauty of Christmas. Because God doesn't have an element of mystery when he approaches us. He knows exactly what he's getting into. 
He knows your problems. He knows your family situation. He knows which one of your aunts and uncles is going to have a drink too many at Christmas and say that one thing that's going to offend you and send your kids out the room. Like It happens. God is aware of all these things. He knew it all. He knew the very best and worst of you and me. And he still chose to draw near. That's the beauty of Christmas. Not what we do to celebrate God, but what God's done to celebrate us, to actually raise us up to be with him. It's extraordinary. God loved you and I from the start. He is the exception to the idea of intimacy and awe because God chose intimacy with us after seeing our brokenness from a distance. He didn't see perfection from a distance. He saw reality and still drew near. God knows us already. That's why we say to err is human, to forgive divine, because to truly understand someone at their worst and forgive them, there's an element of the divine in that. God saw the redemptive potential in human beings and chose to draw near. He drew near to you, not to put up with your flaws, but to overcome them. And this is our aim. This is our prayer. This is our desperate cry at Encounter Church. We want you to have that encounter with God. For all of us here who call it home, we've had some kind of encounter with the living God. Now, for some of us, that was a supernatural encounter, something we couldn't put our finger on, either a sense or a feeling or an understanding or even a voice or a vision. But for many of us, it was a very natural encounter with people who loved one another and expressed the character of Christ to each other. Both of these are ways in which God draws near to us. And our prayer is that tonight you would have an encounter like that. That you'd be open to the idea that God has drawn so close to you and that it's easier than you think. Easier than you think to begin that relationship. The message of Christmas is that a perfect God drew near to imperfect human beings. Not because he was drawn by our beauty, but because of his love for us in our imperfection. God has come so near, so near. And his desire is that you would begin to know and love him the way he loves you. God is calling you home, calling you home into a relationship with him that begins now and stretches on forever. The closer you get to God, the more you will find yourself loving God. And it just starts with one simple step. So here's my simple invitation this Christmas. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. In fact, I'll take it a step further. If you're, if you're a Christian here, I'm sure you're doing that already. I hope you are. But if you're not, let, let, me, let me give you an idea. Challenge God because he's up for it. Challenge him. If you want to hear from God, hear from him. Ask him. You'd be stunned at how he moves, how he speaks. That's my little suggestion today. Ask God to speak to you. Draw near to the God who has drawn near to you. God is closer than you think.